0: The Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: Peter was so disgusted by these men and what they did that he actually called them stains and blemishes in the sense that they defiled something. They defiled something that's, that's pure. They are stains. They are blemishes. They're, they're like acne on a gorgeous face to be vivid. These false teachers were not real Christians, but their presence defiled what was pure and holy. What is Peter talking about? I think what he's talking about here, he seems to be referring to the fact that what false teachers did, they actually did While they participated in the Lord's Supper.
2: This is verse by verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'm happy that you can join us today as we continue studying from Second Peter chapter two. Peter had some stern words for and dire warnings against false teachers. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter eleven, therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. Peter was not the only one with strong words about failing to show proper reverence for the Lord's Supper. As a matter of fact, we'll be looking more carefully in just a few minutes at that familiar passage in 1 Corinthians. There are plenty of famous philosophers who claim that hedonism, or the pursuit of happiness and pleasure, ought to be the main objective of life. But I've observed exactly the opposite over the years. The pursuit of happiness is, in fact, the surest way to chase away the very happiness we seek. Victor Frankel, in *Man's Search for Meaning*, said it well: Happiness cannot be pursued; it must ensue, and it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself, or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. I think those are wise words. If you can follow, in your Bible, turn to Second Peter, chapter two. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us more about what the Apostle had to say about false teachers and those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires.
1: But before we can turn away from false teachers, we first need to identify them. Who are they? And that's what Second Peter 2 is about because the Apostle Peter rips off these people's religious masks and, masks and exposes them for what they really are. They are evil in their outward behavior and their inward motivations. Now, up to this point in our study of 2 Peter, we've seen several truths, actually three major truths about the true character of false teachers. And we're really in a uh, uh, sort of a, a sub-series within the whole series of 2 Peter, which I've entitled The Truth About False Teachers. That's because that's the spirit of 2 Peter. What's the truth? What are they really like? Well, what we've seen, first of all, according to verse 10, they are morally impure. He says, especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. They are morally impure. Generally speaking, that's the case because they have no Holy Spirit indwelling them. They cannot say no to sensual temptations. They have no power to do that. Secondly, they despise authority because Peter says right at the right after speaking about indulging the flesh, he said they despise authority. And it means that they despise the authority of Jesus Christ in their lives, and that would apply to any authority Christ has put over their lives. They're going to do their own thing, and they don't want anybody telling them what to do. We also saw that they are extremely arrogant. He says in verse 10, they are daring self-will. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. And we interpreted that to mean that they are arrogant to the point that they're not afraid to slander uh, Satan and uh, fallen angels. They talk very light of Satan. There's, there's no respect for Satan. Obviously, we shouldn't honor him, but we ought to have a respect for him. And uh, no, they, they had this sort of proud arrogance about them that they could slander him and say whatever they wanted, and that was all right. Now, this morning, as we continue studying this chapter, we're going to discover one more important truth about false teachers, and that is they are pleasure seekers. Note that. It's so all we're going to look at this morning as we explain the text. They are pleasure seekers. As we get into verse 13, it says in the second line they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. As Peter continues to reveal the true character of false teachers, he states something. That ought to be startling to us. Your uh, Bibles may translate this a little bit differently, but in whatever translation you use, it ought to startle you. Because he states that these men who were bothering his readers were so bold in their evil ways that they actually carried them out in broad daylight. That's the startling thing. What exactly were they doing? Well, the the uh, Greek word that Peter uses for pleasure that's translated in my Uh, Bible as as pleasure is the word from which we get our English word hedonist. A hedonist is an individual who lives only for pleasure. Hedonistic ways. Listen, that's our culture. Whatever makes me happy, that's all that counts. That's pretty much the culture that we we live in. Hedonistic culture. That's the word. In other words, these false teachers were pleasure seekers who lived a lifestyle of self-indulgence in broad daylight for everyone to see. That's what Peter is saying. Now, specifically what they did, Peter doesn't spell it out for us. However, knowing what we know about the culture of Peter's day, their hedonistic ways would certainly have to include immorality and drunkenness. There's no way that he's not thinking of of at least that. And the word that's actually translated uh, rebel or carousing in this verse also carries with it the thought of softness, of, of luxury, of extravagance. These are the things that bring pleasure to people. That's, that's the thought here. So Peter is painting a picture of a false teacher as an individual who lives to feel good and behaves in a way that ordinarily is reserved for nighttime. And notice how Peter phrases his statement in verse 13. He says, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. It's not that the apostle is suggesting that carousing at night is acceptable, not doing that at all. It's just the fact that immorality and drunkenness are usually committed under the cover of darkness. Why? So that it can be hidden from the sight of others. That's why Jesus said in John 3.19 that men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. They don't want it exposed, so they do it under the cover of darkness. What we know about the, the degenerate and wicked culture of of Peter's day was that it was a, a culture given over to uh, horrible behavior. However, this kind of stuff was frowned upon doing it in daylight. Yes, they did it at night, but even in this, this degenerate culture, they still frowned upon this kind of behavior in broad daylight. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, Paul says, hey, we're of the day, we're of the night. People who get drunk, he said, get drunk at night. I mean, it's just a truism. You don't do that in the daytime. That would be very, very odd. In fact, it's very interesting. Do you remember the day of Pentecost? The Spirit of God came in a very unique way, and uh, the apostles as well as the others in that church all spoke in, in languages, and uh, which we call tongues. And uh, remember what the, what the men were accused of, the people were accused of? That they're drunk, they said. Well, they weren't drunk, but it's interesting that Peter says, listen, how could we be drunk? It's only nine in the morning. Nine in the morning. He says it's the third hour, nine in the morning. He said, we're not drunk, and even if we were, we, this is absurd. Nobody gets drunk nine in the morning in our day and age. See, that just shows you a little bit of the culture. They did that stuff at night. But the false teachers of Peter's day carried on immoral practices and drunken revelry even during the daytime. That's what's so incredible. Now, why, folks? Because they live for pleasure and only pleasure. And they thought that this behavior would make them happy because that's the way a hedonist lives. Whatever makes me feel good, I do it, even if it's in broad daylight. And to make matters worse, notice how Peter, what he goes on to say, these false teachers behave this way in front of believers. Verse 13 goes on to say, they are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Peter was so disgusted by these men and what they did, that he actually called them stains and blemishes in the sense that they defiled something. They defiled something that's that's pure. They are stains, they are blemishes. They're they're like acne on a gorgeous face to be vivid. These false teachers were not real Christians, but their presence defiled what was pure and holy. What is Peter talking about? I think what he's talking about here, he seems to be referring to the fact that what false teachers did They actually did while they participated in the Lord's Supper. And let me explain why I say that. I want you to notice the last phrase of verse 13. He says, as they carouse with you, as they carouse with you, literally it should be translated as they feast with you. In in other words, false teachers were eating meals together with believers. And that's where they were involved in this kind of behavior. Now, most likely... What Peter is referring to is something that was very unique to the early church. Ordinarily, we don't do this today. When they observed the Lord's Supper, they had sort of a, a potluck meal with it. They called it the love feast or the agape feast. And uh, the reason they did this was not only to remember the Lord, but to affirm that they loved one another. Because what you had in that culture, you had a, if you had any middle class, it was not large. So you had very wealthy people and then you had poor people, many of which were slaves and uh, they didn't eat as well as the wealthy people. And so this was an opportunity when they observed the Lord's Supper for the wealthy people to bring a meal. And they brought a lot for everybody so that the poor could eat and, and, and the slaves could eat And they would affirm at the Lord's Supper they remembered Jesus and Jesus had died for them and Jesus had made them one body and now they're expressing in a tangible way love for one another. And so it was a very special, precious thing. But in time there were there were abuses that entered into this practice, and we know that because of First Corinthians chapter eleven. Let's look at this. First Corinthians chapter eleven, when Paul speaks to them about the Lord's Supper, he actually first rebukes them. Because of what the Corinthians were doing, and I suggest to you that this uh, this kind of stuff was happening in Peter's vicinity as well. The uh, believers he was writing to, First Corinthians 11. Notice verse 17. Paul says, "But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come, because you come together not for the better but for the worse. Talk about coming together for the Lord's supper. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it." For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evidence among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. Strong words from Paul. Instead of sharing their meal with the poor Christians, the wealthy Christians apparently uh, ate it themselves and didn't wait for the poor to get there. The poor had to wait until they were uh, able to, to leave their jobs or um, or if they were slaves when the master said they could they could go. And when they got there, they found that the wealthy people already ate their food. And not only that, Paul says you formed cliques and you drank too much and you became drunk. Paul says, I say this to your shame. Now, apparently something like this was taking place in the assemblies, in the churches of Peter's readers. False teachers were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And instead of instead of it becoming and being a precious time of fellowship, fellowship it became a drunken orgy. Drunkenness would lead to immorality and and the whole package here. And that's why Peter was so disgusted and called these men stains and and blemishes. And he said they have completely defiled the purity of the Lord's Supper and the fellowship of the saints. In fact, if you turn to Jude, verse 12, Jude says the same thing. Jude is a parallel uh, book in many ways, not everything, but many ways very similar to 2 Peter. And Jude, verse 12, says this, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. A hidden reef would be a, a hidden rock that a ship would, would crash on. They didn't know it was there. Dangerous. He said, that's like, that's the way these people are in your love feasts, in your Lord's Supper, potluck dinners. When they feast with you without fear, notice he says, caring for themselves. Now, what is that expression? They care for themselves. It's interesting. The verb here, care, is related to the word pastor or shepherd. In other words, false teachers shepherd only themselves. They don't care about you. They care about themselves. They are shepherds to themselves, not shepherd to the flock. They participate in the church because they have another agenda, and their agenda, folks, is to fulfill their own desires. That's all they care about. They are pleasure seekers, and uh, they do whatever gives them pleasure whether it be drunkenness or sensual pleasures, they're going to seek it. That's why Peter goes on to state about sensual sexual pleasure in verse 14 and behavior. Look at verse 14. He says, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Eyes full of adultery. That is a fascinating statement. In fact, in the original Greek language, it is much more vivid than this. And I I don't mean to kind of overwhelm you with the Greek, but I do want you to get the the intent and the original words here. Literally, in the Greek language, it is eyes full of an adulteress. That's what it means. That's how it ought to be translated. Eyes full of an adulteress. And what he means by this is that these false teachers were so consumed with lust that every woman they saw, they looked upon as a potential adulteress to commit fornication with. Peter's point is that in addition to being drunk at the Lord's Supper, these men were continually on the lookout for a sexual partner. Eyes full of an adulteress. That's how they looked upon women. And that's why Peter goes on to say, notice that next phrase, enticing unstable souls, luring them in like one would would lure fish in with bait. These wicked pleasure-seeking men made it their goal to seduce spiritually unstable women. Women who were easy targets because they were they were spiritually immature and they were vulnerable to these seductive uh, the seductive moves of these religious teachers. Probably they were impressed with them. Maybe these men had great uh oratorical uh, abilities and uh, because they had platform exposure, maybe they were very impressed with them and they were um enticed by this, unstable souls. Now, that's the meaning of of what Peter is dealing with. But we want to stop here. We want to apply this, apply this, this to our lives and apply the principle, the, the broad principle is this, that false teachers are pleasure seekers. How do we apply this to our lives? What does this mean to us today? What can we do about this Well, I don't think we can conclude from this that every false teacher necessarily gets drunk or is immoral. I do think that's probably the case with many, and more so than we uh, suspect. But I think that there are some broader truths here. I I see two very important applications that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, we ought to recognize that the goal of all false teachers is to seek pleasure for themselves. They don't care about you. They're not interested in you. They're interested in themselves. They are hedonistic pleasure seekers. They are involved. Why why does a man or, or, or a woman, for that matter, get involved in a religious organization if they don't know the Lord? Why would you give your life to religion? Only one reason, get some pleasure out of it. It's certainly not to serve God. It's not to serve you. That's why they do what they do. They get some pleasure out of it. And this is why they will take advantage of you. They will take advantage of you financially, and in some cases, sexually. In fact, look, just financially, we're going to deal with this next week. Notice the next phrase in verse 14, having a heart trained in greed. They're not just greedy. They discipline themselves. They go to the gymnasium and discipline themselves to get greedy. They work at it. They're very, very greedy. We won't deal with that Right now, I mean, we're going to touch on it, but next week we'll talk more about that. But they will take advantage of you financially and in some cases sexually. Be careful, women. And you should understand that many religious leaders do what they do because they are power hungry. They are power hungry leaders who uh, derive pleasure by controlling other people. And they do it in their churches and religious organizations and their teachings. You see, it's all about them. It's not about you. This is why many cult leaders and false teachers are into the prosperity gospel. Have you ever wondered why, when you turn on uh, uh, TBN, not TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network—I guess it's called TBN—I don't want to confuse it with TBS, okay? But uh, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. Have you ever wondered why? Well, let me just tell you my experience. Since I've been doing this series, I've I've watched it more. I don't watch it a lot, and I'm not encouraging you to watch it, but I'm I'm trying to get some insight as to what these people are teaching. And every time I have ever watched, I have never heard a a gospel presentation. I have never heard the gospel on that network by any of those charismatic leaders, never. But what I have heard are two things. They're either talking about being healthy or being wealthy. Every time I have ever watched, in fact, the other night, Michelle and I watched this, I don't even know who it was. But uh, he got all these people excited about how God doesn't want them to be poor. And uh, I tell you, by the, by the, well, I don't know if it was the end of the service. I couldn't take any more. So I, I had to turn it off and turn it to something else. But uh, he had them jumping up and down, literally jumping up and down, saying something to the effect of, I'll never be poor. I'll never be poor. And, and you know, my heart grieves for that because most of those people are probably very poor. And they're going to go out, they're going to leave being poor thinking that God doesn't want them to be, and they're going to be very disillusioned with God because they're going to remain poor. They're not They're not going to be wealthy because they jump up and down and say, I'll never be uh, poor again. Uh, what a horrible thing. But why do these guys preach that kind of stuff almost all the time? It's because they are materialistic pleasure seekers who disguise their love of things by the heretical teaching that God wants all of his children wealthy and you can command God to even make you wealthy. That's your right, they say. Just to give you an example of this pleasure-seeking mentality that hides behind false teaching, listen to the words of Fred Price, who's a uh, television evangelist. He said this, and I quote, The Bible says that Jesus has left us an example that we should follow his steps. That's the reason why I drive a Rolls Royce. I'm following Jesus' steps, end of quote. Driving a Rolls Royce is following Jesus. Listen, that's not the Jesus of the Bible, not following the Jesus of the Bible. And then there is a quote from Kenneth uh, Hagin, who's really, the, um, in many ways, the father, the founder of the modern-day faith movement. Just kind of say it, and it materializes. He said this, and I quote, God wants his children to eat the best. He wants them to wear the best clothing. He wants them to drive the best cars, and he wants them to have the best of everything, end of quote. Listen, you understand why men like Price and, and Hagen preach this kind of stuff? It's because that's how they want to live. That's what they believe, because they are pleasure seekers who have come up with a theological system to justify their hedonism. They can't just get up and say they're money-hungry people, want to live uh, in, you know in wealthy homes and drive rolls right. They have to blame, uh, they wouldn't put it like that, but they have to blame God for that. That's the way God wants them to live. So be aware and not be naive about the goal of these men. The goal is to seek whatever makes them happy. That's what's behind their message. They don't care about you. They don't care if you're wealthy or poor or healthy. They care about themselves and all the money that you might give to them, by the way, so that they can drive a Rolls Royce. Now, the second applicable truth that I see from Peter's teaching about the pleasure-seeking goals of the false teachers is that those who tend to fall for their schemes are immature people. I mean, those people who I saw jumping up and down, I don't know where they stand spiritually, but if there are any born again people doing that, they are immature or they would know better. People who are not grounded in the faith are those who are susceptible. Now, notice in verse 14 that Peter, how he states who these men go after. They have eyes for adultery, says enticing unstable souls. Peter, in context, was specifically referring to unstable Christian women who are lured into illicit sexual relationships with men who are really wolves in sheep's clothing. That's in context what he's talking about. But It is valid to expand this principle to say that Christians who are open to false teaching, whether it be some traditional cult or some far-out new teaching, are those who are unstable in their spiritual lives. Unstable.
2: I have seen, prayed for, and pitied quite a few people who sadly fall into that category of people who will believe whatever they hear that makes them feel good at the moment. You probably have, too. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Our study teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve would love to meet you if you're in the area on a Sunday. Lakeside's address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. If you've been blessed and would like to help us continue these daily Bible lessons, you can find out more at versebyverseradio.org. Unstable people tend, I think, to be that way because they're rather gullible. As a result, they tend to be led astray by various teachings and ideas without finding out how valid those ideas actually are. I remember a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon once where Calvin was explaining to his stuffed tiger, Hobbes, how he and his generation were so discerning that they were not easily misled. They had no trouble seeing the difference between truth and fiction. Hobbes cupped one paw behind his ear and said, I think I hear the TV advertisers laughing. Then Calvin knelt down and said, Wait a minute, I have to pump up my basketball shoes. This is Jerry Peterson, inviting you to meet us here for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve will have more about how false teachers take advantage of... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence
0: Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.